Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. The following podcast contains explicit language. Liz, Monday is Labor Day. Do you think we're working on Monday? Well, let's see. When does 106 prep? Uh, ooh, the 12th. Fuck. Yeah. I'd say yeah. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll discuss all things Labor Day. It is our happier Labor Day episode. Yay! Woohoo! And in honor of Labor Day, we and the other podcasts in the Onward Project family are all talking about how to have a happier work life. So make sure you check out episode 184 of Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which I happen to (laughs) co-host. And also check out the Happier Labor Day episode 611 of Side Hustle School with Chris Gillibo. And Sarah, before we get to our Labor Day discussion, we want to mention that next week on the podcast, we have a very special episode with Channing Dungy, president of ABC Entertainment. We have said many times that we are dying to have Channing on the show. So we're really, really excited about it. Next week, it's happening. All right. So we asked you, our listeners, whether your careers define you and whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. And we got tons of responses, so many. Um, We actually had to have Mary (laughs) compile like a graph for us to kind of summarize all of it. Um, So we're going to share sort of generally how you all responded to this question. And we're also going to read some particularly emblematic responses uh, for each generation. And we're also going to share where we stand on this issue. You and I are a bit split on this question. Yes. Um, But we'll talk about all that in just a minute. But first, we wanted to do a quick update from episode 65, our listener questions episode. In that episode, a flight attendant wrote in saying she wasn't happy being based in Minneapolis and she was wondering if she would be happier in L.A. And um, since that's a work-related update, we thought it would be fitting for this Labor Day episode. Exactly. 
So, Liz, you said you thought she should move her base to Los Angeles, and she wrote in to let us know what she decided. Um, She said, to answer your question, Raimi, not working as an actor, because that was another part of it. She was an actor um, and was thinking like, oh, God, do I want to deal with that in L.A.? Yes, because she had felt she'd aged out of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, to answer your question, Raimi not working as an actor, I still have an agent here in Dallas and used to work a lot in commercials industrials. But once I turned 41 and put on my Texas 20 after <laughs> moving here from Australia, it all disappeared. So, yes, you're probably right. Maybe I haven't been aged out. Maybe I'm just not living where the acting jobs are. Also, I refuse to be one of those hangry, skinny actresses. I treat my body well and let it be whatever weight it needs to be. Loved your advice about creating my own community in L.A. I've found a crash pad in, get this, Beverly Hills with a celebrity chef and a wardrobe stylist. Um, So that's exciting. Yes, she's putting in her transfer. She's making the move. So welcome to L.A. Yes. What I love about her story is that she's being super proactive about finding happiness in her work. Yeah, that's great. And I also love that she's immediately like moving in with a celebrity chef and a stylist. (laughs) That's very L.A. (laughs) And we appreciate that she doesn't want to be a hangry actress. We really do. That's no fun. It's hard to be a hangry actress. It's hard to be an actress. Actor. Actor. A hangry actor. Hangry, yes. (laughs) So if you decide to get back into acting, um, we hope we see you in a casting session someday. (laughs) Yes. Okay, let's dive into Labor Day. Yes. So we asked you, does your job define you and should it? And since we asked you all to share with us, it's only fair that we share with you um, our thoughts on the topic. Yes. So, Liz, does your job define you? I think my job absolutely defines me. I feel like I am a TV writer through and through. Like, I feel like I was a TV writer even when I was like seven years old. I just didn't (laughs) know it yet. You know what I mean? It's just so important to who I am. I feel like it. It everything I do, I see through the lens of being a TV writer. And I feel like if I never wrote another word of television, I would still be a TV writer. See, I find that so fascinating because it's like you you have been, and I guess I have been too, totally preparing our whole lives for this. Right. Like you don't realize when you're seven years old watching Gilligan's Island exactly. that you're kind of filing things <laughs> yes, away. Yes, You know, oh, hats are funny or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we really have like we had like a lifelong um, internship. Yes. Um, I struggle with identifying as a writer. I mean, I do. I 100 percent identify as a writer and mm-hmm. as a TV writer. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Now, why not? What's wrong with that? Because I feel like there are so many other aspects, or at least there should be, that I can identify with. And it feels risky to sort of identify in some ways with a career that can be so tenuous. Even though, you know, we've had a phenomenal career, but what happens if, like, I completely identify myself as a TV writer, if I completely put my whole identity into the fix, which, by the way, we have and are doing, (laughs) and then it's a giant flop, and that then reflects on who I am as a person. I would like to have a little more separation. Well, I also think part of this is you have a lot of hobbies and other things you do, whereas I really don't. Like, all of my hobbies are connected to being a writer slash podcast host. Right. So I don't go beyond that in terms of my identity. (laughs) 
And of course, I also identify as a mother. Yeah. But, you know, identifying yourself solely as a mother is very dangerous as well. Yes. Because your kid is going to grow up and out. Your whole job is to get them to be independent. And so you could be left, you know, feeling like, well, here I am. My whole identity is being a mother or a parent. And yet... I my child, of course, they always they always are going to need you and need some sort of parenting. But I wouldn't want to be defining myself through that, and I don't think it's healthy for them either. Right? You know, I don't feel my mom defines herself through me at all, and I think that's a good thing. Did you feel that way when you were smaller? Because your mom was a stay at home mom, and we actually have a letter from a stay at home mom later. I'm just curious. Um. Well, I probably thought, yeah. I mean, I saw her that way, a hundred percent. But I don't know that she ever saw herself identified solely as a mother. Right. Your mom was super active in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, to me, like if the show flops, if we never work again, then we're just like failed TV writers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're still TV writers. Still TV writers. Good point. <laughs> um, you know, so again, it's not even like to me, it's just my personality, I feel like, is just such a TV writer personality. Uh-huh. So I think that also being in a creative field, it, it adds to the sort of definition of who you are. That's so true. And we heard from a lot of people who had that point. Yes. Many people in creative fields felt that they were – it's not that their career defines them so much as more like they have chosen a career that allows them to express themselves. Yes. Which I do think is a huge part of being a writer for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's key. We're drawn to it for that reason. Yeah. But I also think just growing up, I always just thought, like, your career is who you are. For whatever reason, that always resonated with me. So I have never thought anything other than that, like, I would be defined by my career. Right. I guess maybe because my mom didn't like her career a lot Mm. of the time, I'm more conflicted about it because I have this sense of, like, if you're defined by your career and your career doesn't make you happy, you know, like, what? What are you? What do you have? And like, right. you, you shouldn't identify with that. Of course, our career makes me very happy. Right. But I still have that conflict. Right. I mean, look, that's a good point. If you hate your job, the last thing you want to do is be defined by your career because <laughs> yeah. that would be really depressing. Yeah. And we know a lot of people who aren't defined by their career don't want to be defined by their career. Um, and that's great for them. It's just for me... It is like so who I am. Yeah. I can't I could never separate myself from it, nor and, would I care to. Right. And I would say if we a year from now, I'm knocking on the table here in our studio, um, were failed TV writers, I would still be a writer. Right. It would just be a more sitting in the woods somewhere peaceful <laughs> kind of writer, you yeah. know, yeah. rather than this sort of multimillion dollar production type writer. And that's mm-hmm. fine, too. I might really like being that kind of writer. I don't want to be that kind of writer. I want to have a TV show. (laughs) Well, me too. That's choice number one. (laughs) Um, All right. Should we hear where our listeners stand on this? Yes. We are going to dive into your letters and share some of the trends we found in the many, many responses we got to our Labor Day question right after this ad break. 
Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. So, Sarah, where do our listeners stand on this? Are they defined by their careers? Do they think that's good or bad? What is the scoop? All right. So, in general, more people said no than yes, Mm. which surprised me. Interesting. Right? Um, There were a lot of people who were on the fence, especially Mm -hmm. among Gen Xers, which is our generation. Um, And I was trying to figure out why that might be. I sort of wondered if it's because we're a bit in a sandwich generation, like Hmm. we're the people right now who are parents and taking care of our parents, like that we are sort of pulled in so many different directions, maybe. Hmm. Um, And maybe also starting to think about retirement and then Ah, that changes how you think about it. But um, and then baby boomers were split Pretty evenly. There were a lot of people who were defined by their careers but were really struggling because they were about to retire or had just retired Mm. and then were sort of left with this sense of like, you know. Who am I now? Yeah. Interesting. Um, But I thought we should start with millennials Mm -hmm. because millennials were by far, like by far more likely to say that no, they're not defined by their work. Well, we know from Mary, our assistant, that she doesn't define herself by her job. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because I just don't relate. (laughs) Um, Now, Mary also has a lot of outside interests. She does. She has a lot of things that she does. Like, it's Teaching Pilates, for one. Yes. If you're in L.A. and you want to get a Pilates (laughs) lesson from Mary, send us an email. Um, (laughs) Now, we got a really interesting letter from Hannah that laid out a solid argument for why that might be for millennials. She said, I'm 30 years old living in Nova Scotia. I own and operate a dog daycare and boarding kennel that I opened two and a half years ago. I see pet care as a short-term career for me and view my business as my job, a job I'm extremely passionate about, but not my entire identity by any means. I think I have some pretty generation-specific thoughts on whether our careers define us. As a millennial, I came to adulthood during an economic depression when jobs were scarce and the financial burden of a university degree was expected for everyone. Millennials grew up being told we could be whatever we wanted to be, but the reality is many of us are not on linear career paths, are overeducated for the jobs we do manage to find, and sometimes feel paralyzed by the hypothetical buffet of options we were raised to believe we have and that the media tells us exist. Career is a complicated word for us, not easily defined." I see a lot of people in my generation rejecting the idea of a career in the traditional sense opting instead to start businesses either out of necessity or passion, 
jump from job to job, either out of necessity or boredom, or go back to school in an effort to stand out to the Gen X baby boomers doing the hiring. With all the changes we go through, defining ourselves by our careers doesn't make much psychological or emotional sense. It feels old-fashioned to hear someone identify themselves by their profession alone without also including their passions, hobbies, causes they support, relationship roles, or something else identifying. Just look at our Instagram bios. As life expectancy climbs, professional pension plans shrink and disappear and retirement ages rise, I see careers looking much different for millennials and Gen Z. I see continual learning and changing directions following societal and economic trends to find work. I see tons of my cohorts starting their own businesses because we're sick of waiting around for other people. And I see many of my peers doing things that were not careers even 10 years ago, like YouTube and online life coaching. Um, wow. Well, Hannah could be a writer for one thing. Absolutely. She could also be like a sociologist. I feel yeah. like she broke that down so brilliantly. Yes. When you think about the way our world and our expectations of our jobs have changed, you know, from our grandparents' generation and even from our parents' generation when people would work in the same place for 30 or yes. 40 years and then retire, it is a really different world for millennials. Well, and I know even when Jack was starting school, um, you know, we would go on school tours and one of the heads of school was saying that for like 80 percent of our children will have jobs that don't yet exist, that haven't even been invented yet. So, things, you know, <laughs> oh it's just God. such a changing world. Yeah. Um, and I get it. If, if you can't go say like, oh, I'm going to graduate from college now and be like go into editing and, you know, book publishing and be an editor and sort of know that's going to be your path for 30 years. Well, why would you define yourself by your career if you're constantly having to move and shift just to find work? And millennials have been the generation, as she says, that really decides to create their own work. Yes. So many millennials start businesses. Yes. And that's a really perilous thing to do. You can't necessarily define yourself by that because who knows if your business is going to survive. At the same time, you have to put your all into it. But I would think if I was an entrepreneur that that would be like such a strong feeling of my identity. I'd be well, it wouldn't necessarily be, oh, I'm like I take care of pets. It would be I'm an entrepreneur. That would be right. my identity. Um, the other thing she mentioned, which I think is key, is the um, social activism. I think a lot of millennials define themselves through causes, not through work. And that's a really positive change. Yes. Go millennials. And then we also got a letter from Michelle, who I think is also a millennial. She wrote, I have my dad to thank for an inherited ambition and desire to help the world. But there came a point in my public health career when I was truly unhappy, feeling some of what I was doing was unethical, at least by my high standards, also feeling guilty about not getting everything done in time because I was stretched too thin. I reached out for help and started therapy. And one of the mottos I embraced during this time was, my work is not my worth. 
Even though my mood and my mind are no longer in this terrible place they once were, I still repeat this motto to myself from time to time, especially when stretched thin again or stressed. I remind myself that I am more than my job. I'm a fiancé, I'm a fur mom, a daughter, a sister, a friend. There's so much more to me than my work self. I no longer let my work define me, though I recognize it's still an important part of who I am, and I continue trying to be my best work self and otherwise. Well, this is a really interesting point. My work is not my worth. I love that motto. No, it's funny because even though my work defines me, I don't think it gives me my worth. Oh, that is interesting. I don't think it's like, you know, oh, I'm no good if I'm not a successful TV writer. Mm -hmm. It's more of how I see the world, not my worth. Right. So I think that's a really interesting distinction. Yeah, I think for me, it might be connected to my worth. So that might be why we have this differing feeling of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to have it define you. Yes. Like, to me, it's more about just, like, personality Uh and point of view. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, Not that I—I'm sure there's a—you know, I'm sure it feeds into my feeling of worth, but I I don't feel like—like, if we fail, I don't feel like I'll feel worthless. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. If we fail and we've done good work, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I think we're doing good work, Mm -hmm. then it won't kind of affect my worth. If we failed and it was like we had, you know, done a bad job, just like been shitty at it, like, (laughs) then it would. Well, me too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she also brings up a, a really interesting point that if you feel morally compromised by your work, that weighs on you. Yes. That would be tough. That would be really hard. Yeah. Um, so I love that she took this action mm-hmm. to be happier in her work life. So thank you, Michelle. That was a really um, thoughtful letter. And then Elizabeth wrote, I am a stay-at-home mom, obviously English. To or my Canadian. T- or Can- oh, do they say mom? <laughs> I'm a stay-at-home mom to my two boys. Financially, it makes more sense for me to stay home rather than go to work as the cost of childcare in Ireland is ridiculous. Oh, she's Irish. Irish. (laughs) And although I do love being at home with them whilst they are young, it's hard because society doesn't really acknowledge folks who stay at home. I feel invisible. Sometimes I wish I had a job just for a title to define me rather than being referred to as, quote, just a stay at home mom. I'm 39. So she would be a Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, I think a lot of women and I'm sure stay at home dads struggle with this. Yes. It's the hardest thing because, you know, we do identify so much with being parents when we're parents, but it does not get the credibility in so many ways of having a job outside the home. And it should because it's the hardest job. There oh, is. Oh, I can't. I couldn't be a stay-at-home mom for two days. No. I mean, I am, Well, for two days, I could. I, I am not <laughs> equipped. I am not equipped. Um, and it is it is interesting because I know I've talked to stay-at-home moms who feel like this dread at a dinner party of like, what do you do? Yeah. And, and I that just breaks my heart because, yeah. like, again, I grew up with a stay-at-home mom and my mom is you know, like kind of a hardcore badass, I yeah, would say. Yeah, totally. She I is. don't think she ever felt that way, and nor should she. And I hate seeing people feel that way. Um, but I don't know what to do about it. It seems like this just like ongoing issue. You know, one of our listeners wrote in a great letter 
many episodes ago. We'll try and find it and post it on our website, Happier in Hollywood, um, about just this issue, about how we need to take larger steps as a society mm-hmm. to value families more, mm-hmm. not just women more and not just stay-at-home moms more, but families as a whole and parents as a whole and give people the support they need to do what they want without any kind of judgment about it. Well, you know what else is interesting is that I think what I always saw growing up, and I think this is probably true for a lot of people, is that my dad's career, like my mom was connected to that. Right. You know, she was a part of his career going well. Right. Helping him build it. Yes. And so, it. I mean, so this is just a stay-at-home mom. It's the just that's a problem because mm-hmm. stay-at-home mom is... It's it's not just taking care of kids. It's also right. supporting the person in the family who is doing the career, making the money. Right. You know, so um, I think that's another element that I don't know if that's changed where now people are more separated. Like siloed as yes. you do house stuff. Yeah, I don't know why that is, but I definitely feel like if you do have a partner, you can be almost defined by their career as well. Right. I would love to hear more about this um, for any of our stay-at-home mom listeners out yes. there. Will you please let us know yes. um, how you feel about this? And then we are going to read a letter from a teacher. We heard from a ton of teachers. So many teachers. And Marjorie wrote, I was a science teacher for 12 years, and I loved it going to work. I loved telling people what I did. In fact, it was even more than a job or a career. It was a profession. To me, teaching was a lens that I viewed almost everything through. Since I left teaching, needing a break and not knowing if I would return, I have struggled with what defines me. Am I a wife? My mom's caregiver, while I am very committed to both of these parts of my life and I have a nice part-time job at a local nonprofit organization, I feel adrift. I'm not going back into teaching. So it is time that I start something new and spend the rest of my working life at a job that makes me feel whole. I'm 50. Mm. So many teachers wrote in that they were defined by their careers. Yes. And teaching is a very hard job. I, you know, I was a teacher for two years. Teaching for 12 years, teaching for 30 years, it's so emotionally and mentally and physically, it just, it's really intense. I also think a lot of teachers become teachers because they sort of are teachers. Right. They're givers and you carers. Know, there are and, people yeah. who enjoy doing that. So it, again, like we're saying, being writers, we're drawn to the career because we already feel like a writer. I think it makes sense that teachers feel defined by their career um, because they're sort of just natural teachers. Right. And then if you have to move away from that, I can see that that would be really excruciating. Yes. Although it's funny, again, I think once a teacher, always a teacher. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you're always called president when you're president <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> I think once you've been a teacher, like you're still a teacher. Right. So the key would be to... If you're moving into something else, find something that uses those qualities, those nurturing qualities, those qualities of like being able, yes, patience, being able to impart information and engage people Mm -hmm. would be good. So, Marjorie, good luck. Yes. Now, this is someone who um, talks about how her career is a happiness stumbling block, which I think it is for a lot of people. Carol says, identifying with my career has been a happiness stumbling block for me. I am a Gen Xer. 
For a decade, I proudly defined myself by my career in a specific type of law. But last year, my family moved across the U.S., and the type of law I used to practice is not practiced in the region where we moved. I don't regret identifying myself with my previous career path. That was the only way to succeed at the time. But I wish I had known that moving wouldn't just mean getting a new job. Changing jobs and careers has required me to redefine myself. Painful stuff. Yeah, a lot of our listeners in their emails talked about how painful it is if you define yourself and then you find yourself having to change your path. Yeah. Um, like Marjorie and Carol. I think it can be a real like existential crisis. Yeah. You know, um, I think people from the outside are like, oh, you're changing jobs, you're changing careers. How exciting. And on the inside, people just feel like panic terror. Yeah, right. Like, I'm a lawyer. How am I supposed to go and work at a corporation yeah. or work at a bank or work in marketing or work yeah. in a nonprofit? Like, but I'm a lawyer. Yeah. It's Although funny. you can be a lawyer at all of those places. You can. It's funny because, of course, my sister went to law school and was a lawyer for a very brief time. But again, I still think of her as a lawyer, even though she hasn't practiced law for God knows how oh, many that's years. that's funny. Because, because she thinks like a lawyer. But she never really identified as a lawyer, I don't think. No, she didn't. But she thinks like one. Yeah, that's true. So it's interesting. Yeah. All right. More thoughtful, provoking discussion about whether or not our jobs define us and should they after this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Sarah, we are back um, talking about... Labor Day, with uh, an email from Diane. She says, as I get closer to retirement in a few years, I am now realizing how much my work does define me. I have worked in the outdoor business since I graduated high school in manufacturing and marketing. I have loved my career and really love my existing job with a large, well-known brand. I get to work with adventurous young athletes who inspire me with their energy and determination. Most of them are rock climbers and mostly women who are badass and being paid for what they love also. I feel I have inspired my twin 28-year-old girls who are both in the entertainment biz and also love what they do. They get a kick telling all their friends what I do and how much fun I have traveling with all the athletes. And I have to say, I do have the cool factor in their eyes. Not easy for a 65-year-old mom. When I retire, not sure how I will define myself, but I have a few more years to figure that out. It's on my 18 for 2018 goals for this year to play around with different ideas. I just want to say, Diane, you have the cool factor in my eyes as well. Me too. Oh, my God. You sound awesome. Yeah. And I, it's really interesting that she's starting to think about, like, well, how do I want to define myself? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing is there is a lot of opportunity in retirement to redefine yourself and sort of have this whole second chapter. Yes. Um, and there are a lot of studies, actually, about how 
having a plan, as she's saying, she's playing around with different ideas, having a plan and having long-term goals actually extends your life. Because like, I think like for our grandparents, again, in terms of how things have changed, they retired and they were just, they became putterers, at least, you know what I mean? Which love puttering. But (laughs) if that's kind of, if it's like, this is my reward, I now get to relax. It's actually maybe not the greatest thing physically and psychologically. So um, it's awesome and definitely is sort of changing how I think about the Mm. kind of structure of my life to think of it in long term. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because I also think you could argue that as people have to work longer because it's harder and harder to save money for retirement, that you would even more want your job to define you because you're going to have to do it longer, (laughs) you know. True. <laughs> you should at least enjoy it if you're going to be working till 75. Yes, yeah. if you can. <laughs> Speaking of retirement, Sarah, um, we heard from Lynn, who has retired. Yes, Lynn says, I'm 65 and newly retired. Yippee! I have an observation about being defined by your job career when it comes to the end of your career. I have always had many hobbies and interests. A friend of mine has always been very defined by her career. We've been in similar fields, but she has been outwardly more successful. She's had bigger jobs, more responsibility, and made lots more money than I did. She's nearly 70 and is still working. I know she is tired and would like to retire, but I think she can't see herself not being her job. I know many people fear they will no longer be a contributing member of society if they retire. But think about it. Your company will waste no time finding someone else to do your job. My friend and others have asked me, but what do you do all day? That question is just silly to me. I do whatever I want, and I feel I have the right to relax after working 45 years without a break. So true. Mm -hmm. Um, So my two cents worth from the other side, be yourself, not your job. Have other things to be excited and curious about. I think this is wise while you're working and later. Say to yourself, keep a list maybe. When I retire, I'm going to... Now I'm doing those things while my friend is unhappily hauling herself to work. Wow. Well, that's a really interesting point. What a great letter to sort of wrap up our Labor Day thoughts. Yes. This notion of having something beyond your work, because we won't always be working. No, hopefully not. There will be an end point. And at that point... Especially as TV writers. We know that day comes when you people (laughs) no longer hire you. Right. This is why I color my hair. (laughs) (laughs) But as I've said, Sarah, to me, when I'm 90, if I'm 90, I'll still be a TV writer. I just will hopefully be one who, you know, isn't working. (laughs) It would be nice if you and therefore me also had just like an Emmy on a shelf. That would be nice. Wouldn't that be nice? But again, (laughs) I'm not going to count on that. (laughs) I'm for sure not. But I can dream. Absolutely. (laughs) So what we've learned from reading all of your amazing letters is that there are so many ways to think about work as a job, as a career, as a profession, as a calling. And how you think of it really determines how you feel about whether your job slash career slash profession slash calling defines you. 
As with so many things, it's very individual. So rather than trying to sum it all up, we thought we would pose some questions in the hope that continuing to think about this will help us all have a happier Labor Day and a happier work life in general. So some things to think about as you go to work, whether that work is in your home or elsewhere. Is your job your dream or does it support your dreams? Do you believe your work is your worth? What would make you happier at work? If you didn't have your work, who would you be? Hmm. I would be Violet's mom. Oh, I would be, well, I would be Jack's mom and Adam's wife, but I've always just felt like Liz. <laughs> I'm just Liz. Always have been. This is why you're awesome, Liz. <laughs> we really cannot thank you all enough for your incredibly thoughtful responses. Yeah, it's really been wonderful and helped us think about work more thoughtfully. Okay, Sarah, it's time for this week's Happier Labor Day Hollywood Hack. And it's about um, having stories for meetings. And it comes from one of our listeners, Dave. Um, This episode is all about um, your emails and letters. So Dave wrote, I'm a first-time showrunner executive producing my first series, a comedy for Netflix, and I wanted to write in to tell you a meeting hack that I have developed over the years. I found myself telling the same stories over and over again in general meetings. So eventually I sat down and wrote up my top 10 most interesting stories (laughs) about me, which hopefully convey who I am as a person and as a writer. Then I edited and slightly embellished the stories for maximum comedy effect. Since I'm a comedy writer, I wanted to make sure that these stories were landing well. I'm not a stand-up comic, but I think it's important for comedy writers to be funny in the room. So the hack is, no matter what question the person I'm meeting with asks me, I just launch into one of my (laughs) top stories. I have found that no one cares if you're answering the question or not, as long as it's a good story. So, for example, if someone asks, where did you grow up? I launch into, that's a funny story. I drove across the country with my dad and accidentally (laughs) visited a whorehouse. If someone says, tell me how you got into the television business, I launch into, that's That's a funny story. When I was a lawyer, all the junior lawyers and I had a pool as to how long I could go without doing any work before getting fired. (laughs) (laughs) These sound like very funny stories. I know. I want to have a meeting with uh, with Dave. Um, This is a brilliant idea. Yeah. Because as we have discussed, meetings are really about letting people get to know you. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is show yourself off to your best advantage. It really doesn't matter what you're saying as long as it's showing yourself off. And having those stories prepared in advance that you know you're comfortable with, that you've kind of thought through and timed and like you know we'll get a laugh. Yes. What a brilliant idea. Yes. We need to have some go-to stories. I mean, we have some, but Dave has 10. Yeah. We we got a lot of work to do. He's like ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God we're not comedy writers. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We hope you have a happier Labor Day. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. And again, thanks so much for the incredible response to our Labor Day question. Thanks to our producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. 
Thank you to the awesome ad team at Panoply. Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins, for helping us juggle the insanity that is our lives right now and for helping compile all the information that we got from you guys. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. And make sure to listen next week when we talk to the president of ABC Entertainment, the incredible Channing Dungey. Yoo-hoo! Until next week, I'm Liz Kraft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, we forgot to read um, the haiku we got. Oh my gosh, yes. The haiku from Haley. Hold on, let's find it. I'll read it. Um, Artist and mama oscillating between all, everything at once. Unexpected course. Never thought this would be me, but happier here. Artist and mama ever identifying all at 32. Oh, I love that. Haiku stanzas. Beautiful.